0: So good morning, everybody. You guys doing okay? Eh, I hear you. Did you guys make it through the holidays okay? No? I see, I see a lot of you are still recovering. Shout out to you listening online because you're not physically here. I see a lot of you recovering online or uh, uh, from, from the holidays. I get it. I get it. Me too. Some of us, uh, some of us as we go through uh, have to take the days following Thanksgiving um, to emotionally prepare ourselves to see the Christmas season come to pass. We have to emotionally prepare ourselves to see uh, family again in just a few weeks. I get it. I get it. I'm the only one. It's fine. It's fine. I get it. Uh, Just out of sheer curiosity, right, now that we're, what is it, Friday, Saturday, this is our third day past Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm not going to preach yet. Sorry. Um, This is our third day past Thanksgiving. How many of you already have your Christmas decorations up? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many of you that just rose your hand had them up before Thursday? Yeah. Oh, who's booing? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Listen, my house was ready on Monday. And that's what I'm... Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Hey, I'm not going to, like, rehab this fight with my wife in front of all of you. But listen, Monday, our house was ready, right? On Monday, um, our, uh, our, our eldest daughter, who's not really our daughter, uh, she's just, she's just uh, somebody who's, who God has brought to be a part of our family. She lives in Pittsburgh now with her husband. They came into town on Monday, actually on Sunday, to be here to decorate for the holidays Sunday night and Monday morning. They literally came into town to decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. What is wrong with you people? How many of you went Black Friday shopping? Yeah, How many of you were completely done with your Christmas shopping? All right, shout out to y'all. My house is completely done. It's ridiculous. All credit to, you know, to Rachel, not me. Our house was completely ready. At 6 p.m. while, I'm sitting there watching the Dallas Cowboys. That's right. There we go. While I'm sitting there watching the Dallas Cowboys, Rachel starts giving me that look like, you about ready to take these kids? Because I'm about ready to take this Black Friday shopping. I'm like, okay. And so when the kids went to bed, she was out the door, and off, off she went, and I didn't see her again till today. Hi, babe. That's a joke. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous the amount of stuff or the amount of work that we put into getting ready for this season. Right? It's ridiculous the amount of stuff that goes into putting on this season. I constantly, for the next month, am fully prepared to have many conversations with you all about the stress and the anxiety and even the depression that comes with the emotional task of dealing with this season. Because this season has become corporate. We put so much into getting ready. Well, the season we're about to enter into is not the holiday season. That's not what it's called. On the church calendar, it's referred to as Advent. Everybody say Advent. And Advent, all that really means is the coming of a notable person. What this season is really about is not how incredible the deals are. What this season is really about is the coming of a Savior that I will protest with you all this morning that we all desperately need. And so I have to ask you all this morning, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not talking about is that it's bad to decorate or shop or any of that. But what I am saying is that for the moment, let's put all of that aside. Because when I ask the question, are you ready for this season? That's not what I'm talking about. When I ask the question, are you ready for the season? The question I really want us to answer with our hearts and our minds this morning. Is are we really ready for the arrival of our Savior? Our text this morning is in the Gospel of Luke. Specifically the third chapter. Luke is in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book. It's a gospel. Gospel means it's about to talk about Jesus. The account is written by a doctor. So you can imagine how detailed it is. And also, for those of us in the room with prescriptions, you can also imagine how hard it was to probably read. That was a joke. You can laugh. It's fine. And so we'll be going to the third chapter. That's the big number three. And we're going to start our time this morning at the very top in verse one. Would you all follow along with me? It says this. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eteria and and Trachanias. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Cephas were the high priests. And at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah The prophet from a long time ago had spoken of John when he said he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see that salvation is sent from God. So we start this passage with some dates. This person's the ruler over here, the governor over here, the high priest over here. And a lot of times we skip over that. I don't like to skip that kind of stuff because it's in there, so it must be important. I believe what the dates mean to communicate is for us to know the close, approximate time period where this was going down. And what the close, approximate time period communicates to us is it lets us know how long it's been since God moved through a prophet. It reminds us of the Old Testament where we go through the history of Israel. And as God demonstrated his constant faithfulness to the nation of Israel, Israel returns the favor or not by demonstrating their constant faithlessness. The whole latter half of the Old Testament is God using the prophets to implore his people, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. It's not too late for you. But the rest of the Old Testament is also filled with the nation of Israel saying, shout out to you, big God, for creating us. No gracias on telling me how to live the rest of my life. And so God went silent. And what we see here is for 400 years, the Spirit of God did not speak to his prophets. But when we see, what was it, in verse 2, where it says the word of the Lord came to John, that should automatically click back into our heads the way that most of the prophets start in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to, and now here, once again, the good news to start our time. We're only getting started. The the good news to start our time is that the word of the Lord once again is active. And the word of the Lord once again comes to a servant of our king. And he comes to this man named John. And he says to John, I need you to go get people ready because they're not hit." I haven't moved in about 400 years. They fell asleep. They were asleep before that, but now they're snoozing. They didn't even hit the snooze. They just straight up turned the alarm off. They don't know. I need you to go on every side of the Jordan River. Every side of the Jordan River? Yeah, both of them. The civilized part and the wilderness. I need you to go everywhere, and I need you to tell them all. so John goes out and he preaches this word repentance. Say repentance. Repentance. All that really means is that our life trajectory is going this way. We need to recognize that there is some unhealth in those decisions. And we need to stop right where we're at. We need to give those up. And we need to walk the other way. It's not about necessarily forgiveness. Forgiveness is great. But saying I'm sorry doesn't necessarily mean you won't do it again. Repentance means I'm not going back there. Repentance means I gave that up. Repentance means I was going this way, now I'm going this way. John says, I see you. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going the wrong way. I need you to go the other way. He says, if you really want to be about this, I need you to show me. I need you to show me the first step that he says. He's he's like, go ahead, get in this water. Be baptized. Be baptized in front of everybody. This water ain't going to save you. This baptism ain't going to save you. But it is an external sign of an internal transformation. I need you publicly in front of everybody to declare, y'all see me. Y'all know me. You knew what I was over here. That's not me anymore because I've heard this message told to me by John the Baptist and now I'm going this away. And that was crazy offensive. That was crazy controversial because, see, the Jews, the Jews, they, the only time they would baptize is if it was a Gentile, meaning if it was an outsider, The only time a Jew would baptize is if if it were to say, oh, you were once an outsider, you filthy, dirty individual that wasn't like me. But now you want to be like me, so let's go ahead and dip you on down as a sign that we're all going to be like each other. So when John says baptism isn't just for the outsider, but it's for the person that you think you know God, that's wild. That's so offensive. Then Luke goes on to point out that this isn't a new thing necessarily. It's been talked about in the Old Testament. This is all pointing to something preparing the way for the coming of a Savior. Church, the season of Advent is just as much about the second coming of Christ As it is the first. It's just as much about the second coming, the final arrival of Jesus the Messiah, as it is when he was born. I know our Christmas songs don't always depict that, but it's the truth. So while we're busy celebrating the birth of baby Jesus, and we should celebrate, while we're busy celebrating the birth of baby Jesus, Resurrected Jesus is hovering over the world. Resurrected Jesus is watching us on bended knee, bended elbow, ready to go. I want you to know that our Savior is coming again. And when he comes again, things aren't going to be the same. The sick won't be sick. The sad won't be sad. The hurt won't be hurt. He's coming again. But to be clear, the Bible tells us not everyone will be included. Because not everyone is aware. So this season of Advent, celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. But also look with anxious eye to the future. Knowing that there is a day where Jesus will return for all who call him Savior. If you're here with us this morning and you feel lost, maybe lost in what I'm saying right now, maybe lost in life, don't really know what's going on. You're just kind of trying to make it to the next week. So that way, once you get to that week, you can make it to the next. I want you to know that the second coming of Christ does not have to be bad news. That this season of Christmas, Advent, whatever you want to call it, does not have to be bad news. This can be very, very good news because Christ is coming to heal, Christ is coming to cure, Christ is coming to redeem, to renew, to restore, to unite. Christ is coming to do all of these things. He is preparing the way now for the new Jerusalem, for the world that He wants all of us to inherit. He wants all of us to inherit. But we got to get ready. Are we really ready for the arrival of our Savior? Let's keep going. Verse 7. This is where it gets wild. Man, John goes, oh, yeah. John's that dude. Verse 7. It says, When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes. Well, that's not how I was expecting to be welcomed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down, and it will be thrown into the fire. Dang, man. So the crowds ask, what should we do then? John replies, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, Teacher, what should we do? And he told them, collect no more taxes than the government requires. I know your schemes. I know what you're up to. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't you dare extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. As John is spreading the message of the Messiah's arrival, a crowd starts to gather naturally, right? He's saying some controversial stuff. He seems to be a little rough around the edges. And also Luke's gospel is the only one that doesn't account for this, but in the other accounts you can read, my man looked crazy. It matched. It matched the stuff that he was saying. So people came from all over to see the crazy man in the wilderness who's saying all kinds of stuff and some people wanted their bit of let's call it insurance they wanted some fire insurance they wanted to say just in case what you're saying is true go ahead and dip me in the water just in case just in case this fire that you talk about is real dip dip my toe in the water let me get that fire insurance John told him, you're a snake. In other gospels, we see that he may be specifically talking to religious leaders in the Jewish community. He looks at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who are looked to to interpret religious law, the people who are supposed to know everything about God, the people who are supposed supposed to be the, the, the upright, the most upright. He says, you're a snake. I know who you really are. I know what's behind all that knowledge. I know the motives that you really feel inside when you make judgments. I know what you're really after when you let people into your temple. I know what's going on. You're not fooling me. Sometimes, especially in the holiday season, we can get caught up in the Christmassy stuff we can get caught up in some religious tasks. It's a religious task to do good things as long as it's also feeding your consumer mentality. It's a religious task to make sure you and all your kin make it to Christmas Eve service. It's a religious task to say a prayer around the dinner table as if you pray at any other time of year. It's a religious task to do all these sorts of things. And don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not bad to do any of those things. But what John the Baptist is saying is, he's looking at religious leaders and he's like, I see your task list. I see that these people are nothing to you but a check mark. I see that it is something that serves your own personal piety and it makes you feel good. But what God wants is to see whole transformation. These things aren't necessarily bad, but when they become a show of religiosity rather than a reflection of the heart of God, they're meaningless. They won't even be mentioned. He goes on. He don't stop there. He says, prove it by the way that you live. I don't want you to hear me talk to me anymore. I don't want to, 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 for you to, to read me this list of your credentials anymore. Prove it by the way that you live. I will know you really rock with God. I will know that Jesus has really transformed your life by what I see you do Monday through Sunday. Not just while we're gathered in the temple. We are meant to be more known by the way we live day to day than the amount of seasonal good deeds we contribute to. Then he just goes straight for the jugular. He says, and don't give me that stuff about how you're a son of Abraham. Don't do all that. Your family heritage means nothing. He just said, he just said, he he just said, that's the lineage. That's 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 everything we've got. He said it means nothing. You can be a son of Abraham. So can that rock. He says, you can be a part of that bloodline all you want. But if you don't know Jesus, your dad can be a priest. He can be a missionary. He can tour all the seas and all the countries. You can grow up in church. Your grandma can be the holiest person you ever met because mine is. But that doesn't mean anything for you. We stand in front of God as individuals. I don't get to ride the ride because my mom did. I don't get to, 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 to cling on to my parents' legs and follow them into the kingdom. I'm judged as an individual. My family heritage means nothing. I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't know Jesus till I was 19. It's your family's not going to get you out of this one, boys. And while many rejected this teaching, some were intrigued, intrigued enough to say, so what do we do? What do we do? First thing he says, give what you can. He says, I see you with two tunics on, two shirts. I want you to give one of those to to, to somebody who needs it. If you have two tunics, give one up. If you've got three, give two up. Keep only what you need and give the rest away. That's being truly transformed. Some of us got two tunics on right now. And there's people out here that's cold. Some of us got two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tunics, and we don't even know what we're going to do with six, seven, and eight, but we're going to hold on to them because just in case it might rain tomorrow. Give it up. He says to the tax collector, don't take more than what's right. There was this practice where you would take bids to be able, or you would give bids to be able to collect taxes, and once your bid won, you would make that back, you would give it to the Roman Empire, and then you would try to make more on top of that for your own self. He says, don't do that. Don't collect anything that the government does not require. Don't tax people more than they need to be taxed. Don't be selfish. Don't sacrifice your family for these extended hours so you can get that that PTO or that overtime. You don't do that. Don't be a snake in the grass and make that extra sale that you know you shouldn't make. Don't make that deal that you know you don't really plan on making good at just, to, just because it's the holiday season and you should need some extra cash. He says, don't do all that. Take only what you need. Take only what is required. And he looks at a soldier. A soldier. I ain't going there. But he looks at a soldier. A soldier. He says, there's this stigma about you guys, that you use your power and your position over people, that you guys got this untouchable thing going on. And you use your power and your position over people to just take their homes, to just take their voice, to just take their stuff. And there's nothing that people can do about it. So to the soldier, let me tell you, and this is, this is contextual. He says, let me tell you, won't you use your power over anybody else? Some of us got to come to grips with the fact that we've been given privileges based on the system that we exist in, and it is not for us to exercise that privilege. Rather, it is for us to leverage whatever we've got to make darn sure that every person around us is, is treated equally as they were created in the image of God. John names some real specific stuff, but when Jesus comes, he goes one step more. There's this teacher that tries to catch him slipping, and he says, nobody keeps the commands better than me. I do everything. I give to the poor. I don't take more than what I need. I don't exercise my power over anybody. I just exist. I just do my thing. I got it down. What about me, Jesus? What do I have left to do? Jesus looks him dead in the eye. Doesn't say nothing else to him other than sell everything you've got. John goes at the jugular. John says some harsh stuff. John really, really hits people where it hurts. Jesus goes one more and says give everything. I'm talking about whole surrender. I don't want your name to be labeled on a single thing that you own, not a person, not nothing. I want whole surrender. says, I want you to let your heart become my heart. I want you to let your eyes become my eyes. I want your hands to be my hands, feet to be my feet. I want your attitude to be my attitude. I want your position to be my position. I want you to look like me. And anything that you got to give up to make sure that that happens, you better do it. Yes, sir. It says, I want your actions to reflect my heart, not yours. Mm. Are we really ready? Are we really ready for the coming of our Savior? Let's finish this passage. Verse 15. says this everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah John answered their questions because of course he did by saying I baptize you with water but someone's coming very soon who's greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news. the, The what? The good news to the people. Naturally, having seen and heard all these radical things that John's been saying and doing, naturally, people are like, you know, the way you talk about the Messiah, I feel like you kind of look like him. Are you him? Are you the Messiah? You can't name me not one person in this room. That wouldn't even a little bit entertain the thought of being like, matter of fact, I am. I'm just keeping it real. I would. It would cross my mind. If it doesn't, you don't have a mind. He says, are you the Messiah? But John and his discipline refuses it quickly and directly. He says, I'm not even worthy of untying the Messiah's sandals. There was this phrase back in the day, it says, everything a slave does for his master, so a disciple should do for his teacher. Except that. Everything a slave does for his master, so a disciple should do for his teacher, except untie his sandals, because mm, that's just too dirty. John says, I can't even do that. He is so holy. He is so worthy that I can't even get close to his sandals. I'm not even that worthy. I'm not even worthy to do the lowliest job. He says, don't look at me. There's one who's coming that's so much greater than I am. Don't look at me. This, hey, this right here, splash. get, Get this on you. This is just water. You snakes are coming to make your skin feel good. This water ain't going to do that. This is just water. But the one who's coming, he's got living water. He is living water. And it's by his spirit alone that you will be baptized. It is his spirit alone that you will be saved. And this fire, woo, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's not like a heat you can make. It's some heat, it's going to spread. It's going to melt some people. And it's going to refine some others. Don't you dare look at me. That's offensive. You talk about the way I baptize is offensive. That statement right there is offensive to the Messiah. We have this tendency, I believe, to commit the same sin as our people attempted to commit in the story And that tendency is to name things our Savior. We have this tendency when we find something that feels good or when we find something that sounds nice, we name it Savior of our lives. How many times have we said, that saved me? Ooh, that bailed me out of there. If not for this, then we find things that make us feel better. We find things that sound nice in our ears and we name them our savior and then inevitably we must face a sad reality when that no lo- that thing no longer works sounds nice or it just plain runs out we've got this sad reality all over again the reality we must accept today is that there is nothing that can be savior of our lives but Jesus Christ there is nothing that will make us feel better permanently. There is no bottle, no relationship, no invention, no pastor, no song, no service, no nothing that can save our lives but the blood shed on the cross and resurrected on the third day. Nothing. Are you ready to stop putting your eggs in the wrong basket? I'm talking to myself now. Are you ready to stop putting your eggs in the wrong basket? Are you ready to receive the one thing that has and will overcome every predicament? Are you ready to stop burning your wheels, running in the same place because you can't figure out why you keep hitting this wall? Are you ready to put down whatever you gotta pick up first thing in the morning and live off of what the Lord gives you each morning, every breath that he blesses you with? There is no hole. There is no anxiety. There is no deep depression that is too deep for God. Am I the only one or are we really ready for the Savior's arrival in our lives? I need it. I need it. When I look at everything going on, When I look at the things that I wrestle with daily. When I look at the things that come out of my mouth in these moments. I can't help but wonder, am I really ready for the Savior? Am I really ready for him to pop down up out of those clouds? Let somebody play that trumpet kick down my front door and be like, you got your bags packed because we're going? Am I really ready for that? Am I really ready to stand before him and answer for the things that I've done? Are we ready to stand in front of him as individuals? Now, if I've lost you, come back. If you ain't heard nothing I've said up to this point, hear this. The good news is that we, though we are looking for the second coming, we do have the first to look back on. And what we learn from the first coming of Jesus Christ is that grace and mercy are freely offered to all people without discrimination. What we learn from the first is that for those who recognize that we are not worthy That while we are yet still sinning, Christ dies for us. There is healing. There is love. There is acceptance. There is empowerment. There is glory. And more good news is that he is making this place ready. As John the Baptist was prophesied about and came to prepare the way. So the Lord, through his people, us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, is preparing this place to be ready for his second coming. He is making his people ready. And if we want to be one of those people, if we feel beat down, condemned, and destroyed by the words of John the Baptist that still hold truth through the Spirit in our lives today, The good news is that he can make you ready. And all we need to do is to repent and to believe. Jesus says as much. Repent. Turn away from the destructive decisions of your life. Turn away from the things that you're naming as Savior. Turn away From the things you expect to get you through. And believe that Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. And in him and only him. Will all who claim that be saved.